My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Bowling Green State University. In this episode of the Police Integrity Loss Podcast, we listened to an interview of me and Samuel Sinyangwe by Dotton Adebayu that originally aired on BBC Radio 5 Live on April 1st, 2018. A police officer who shot and killed a black man in Louisiana has been dismissed from the force. A second officer involved in the deadly shooting of Alton Sterling in 2016 has been suspended. It's after police released video footage showing the officers holding him down as one fired his gun. I must warn you, you may find the moments leading up to the shooting upsetting. I'm going to shoot you in your f***ing head, you understand me? Don't you f***ing move, I'm going to shoot you in your Well, that shooting sparked days of protests in the city, but despite being dismissed and suspended, the pair won't face criminal charges. Murphy Paul is from the Baton Rouge Police Department. One officer attempted to use de-escalation and disengagement techniques consistent with policy and procedure. And training, and, and one officer did not follow the tactics, training, professionalism, and organizational standards. Simple. L. Chris Stewart is Mr. Sterling's family lawyer. He never cursed. He never threatened them. He never raised his voice. He kept asking, what did I do, man? What did I do? What's going on? Why are you doing this? You're hurting me. Yes, he resisted to not put his hands on the hood because he was asking, what are y'all doing? Never once punched an officer, touched an officer, kicked an officer, did anything. But yet he ended up dead. So why won't the officers face charges? Dr. Philip Stinson is a criminal justice expert at Bowling Green State University and a former officer himself. And Samuel Singyangui is a black activist and data scientist with Campaign Zero. He's been mapping police violence across the United States. Dr. Stinson, first of all, so why, why won't these officers face charges then? Well, the United States Supreme Court laid down two decisions in the 1980s that we get our standard of when an officer is justified in using deadly force. If a police officer has a reasonable apprehension of an eminent threat of serious bodily injury, then the officer is legally justified in using deadly force. The problem with that standard is that a shooting can be inappropriate, it can be unnecessary, it can violate departmental policy, and it can be the result of a situation where the police officer escalated the situation. And that's what we have in this case. We have a situation where the officers increase the potential for violence, and yet there's no charges that they're facing. So it's very rare, actually, that an officer faces criminal charges for murder or manslaughter resulting from an on-duty shooting in the United States. It happens just a handful of times, even though we know that about 1,000 times each year, on-duty police officers in the United States shoot and kill someone. From what we heard in that videotape, it seemed as if the victim was not putting up any resistance whatsoever. That's what it seemed like. I wasn't there. Is the problem with the law that it's up to the individual officer to determine what he feels might be a threatening situation, in which case any, any, any situation might be deemed by any officer as being threatening. No, the way you just described it, that would be if the officer subjectively thought that there was a, an eminent threat. But the legal standard is actually one of objective reasonableness. So it's what a reasonable police officer 
on the scene would have perceived at that time. So typically when an officer is charged in these cases, it's often as a result of other officers on the scene being willing to testify that they were there, they did not perceive any sort of threat. And even when you have that happen, we've seen multiple times where officers have gone to trial, uh, they get on the witness stand and testify that they feared for their life and the jury disregards the legal standard and the officer is acquitted, or sometimes we end up with a hung jury. So it's a, it's a standard of objective reasonableness. So it's what a reasonable police officer in that situation would have done. And, it, and in this case, I just don't agree with the result. Is it objective when you ask a police officer's partner, a professional partner, to give their perspective? Is that objectivity? Well, we've seen that in the past, though. We have seen other cases where a police officer's partner says, I saw the whole thing. I have no idea why they shot. I didn't see the threat. Now, again, that's very rare that it happens because there is a tendency for officers not to speak out against other officers. As I said, um, also with us uh, is Samuel Singh Yangui. Samuel, you've been mass mapping out the data, I understand, as to this kind of incident. What's the overview? Why are black men... Uh, if not routinely, but very often being shot dead by white police officers in the United States? So to provide you an overview of the data, as Dr. Stinson said, about a thousand people are fatally shot by police every year in this country. Black people are three times more likely to be killed by police per capita. And we know that there is no accountability. Uh, it's very rare for there to be accountability after one of these killings. So 99, over 99% of all cases where somebody is killed by police in this country there is no con criminal conviction against the officer. And in the majority of cases, the officer isn't, fi isn't fired or, or even disciplined. And so, you know, when, when we look at why, you know, Dr. Stinson spoke about the legal precedents that give officers extremely wide leeway to shoot people, to kill people, and claim that it was reasonable. Now, again, the question of what is reasonable is, is what's so important here, because anyone watching that video could see that the officer did not act reasonably. But the officer escalated the situation as soon as he got out of the car, held a gun to Alton Sterling's head, who was not uh, attacking or being threatening in any way, threatened to kill Alton Sterling, and then 90 seconds later ended up doing that. The problem is that the law, uh, you know, even in states where individual states can pass laws that are stricter and more uh, restrictive on when police can force in that Supreme Court precedent. But states have refused to step up and do that. And the criminal justice system as a whole has refused to hold officers accountable uh, by raising the standard, uh, by having independent investigations and prosecutions uh, of these killings. And so this is a political issue. Uh, and it's an issue, much like gun control uh, more widely, uh, where politicians just haven't done their job to impose the types of standards that we need in order to keep communities safe. It's not part of the problem, the fact that uh, video doesn't always tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. For example, we don't see what happens, what kind of uh, connection there is between the officers and uh, Alton Sterling before the video tape starts, what may have happened beforehand. Uh, well, what, what we do see is, is for the, from the perspective of this officer, Officer Salamone, the one who shot Alton Sterling, as soon as he got out of the car, we see on his body camera footage what his experience there was, what he perceived. And what he perceived was he walked up to Alton Sterling, who at that point was standing there not threatening, held a gun to his head, threatened to kill him, held him by the back of the head, uh, and then uh, you know, got into that altercation with him and ended up shooting him. And so, you know, the video, this wasn't the only video. There were five videos released. There were witness statements. 
uh, you know, this is something that had a, a wealth of evidence, more evidence than you could ever really expect uh, for, a, for a situation like this. And yet, and still, despite all of that, we haven't seen any charges. Dr. Simpson, why is it taking two years for this video footage to be released, given that it was in the hands of the authorities? This was body cam footage from the police officer. Why is it taking so long? Well, if I were a prosecutor, I would not want that video out until I'd made a decision on whether I was going to bring charges or not. And if I were going to bring charges, I'd want to try my case in court, so I wouldn't want to do it. On the other hand, if I were an activist in the community, I would absolutely demand that it be out there. But I, I want to speak a minute to the point of the videos. We've got a weird result in this case, in my opinion. I think that it was probably appropriate for the officers to actually have been charged, especially the shooter. You know, in the past, the police have always owned the narrative in these cases, and that's because a dead man can't talk. And now with the proliferation of smartphone videos, with security videos, dash cam, body cam videos, we've got an alternate narrative. We wouldn't be talking about this case but for the initial video that was released almost two years ago. So I think it's important that we do have video, and I think that perhaps we'll see the tide turn at some point here. But I have to tell you, even with videos... The cases don't result in convictions if an officer is charged, and sometimes we see the result here where it seems that a crime was committed by the officer, and yet it doesn't result in charges being filed. Uh, in some instances, we've seen prosecutors say we didn't bring the charges because we didn't think we could get a conviction, and in my opinion, that's not an appropriate reason. Prosecutors, all they're worried about is their win rate, and I think they need to focus more on doing justice and not being so concerned with winning. Dr. Simpson, thank you very much. Samuel Singyangui, many thanks. Dr. Philip Simpson, the criminal justice expert at Bowling Green State University. And thanks to Samuel Singyangui, who is an activist and data scientist with Campaign Zero. On digital, online, smartphone and tablet, this is BBC Five Live. That concludes this episode of the Police Integrity Loss podcast. It originally aired live on the BBC Radio Five Live show Up All Night on April 1st, 2018. My thanks to Samuel Singyangwe at Campaign Zero, as well as Dodden Adebayu and Mitch Mansfield at the BBC. Support for the Police Integrity Laws podcast was provided by the Wallace Action Fund of Tides Foundation on the recommendation of Mr. Randall Wallace. My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. For more information on my research, please go to www.bgsu.edu slash police integrity lost.